Let's pray. Almighty and gracious God, Lord, I ask that you open up our hearts and minds to hear your word. Uh, Lord, that when you speak, your words have the powers to change lives. Let your word continue to guide us in our generosity and our giving to know that you are the giver, creator, and sustainer of all things. And all that we have to give, Lord, is found in you. Amen. So, when you think about the most generous person that you know, who is that person? Uh, I'd like to believe that we probably all have a few different people who may come to mind, but if you could narrow it down to just one person, who would it be? Uh, Maybe it's the person who, as the saying goes, would give you the shirt off of their back. Or uh, maybe it's the person from work who is always willing to go above and beyond what they are asked, who's always giving more of, of their time and always willing to step on to other projects or just do whatever it takes to, to help anyone else around them. Uh, maybe it's someone in your family who uh, is willing to stay after and help clean up after the family party when everyone else has gone to sit on the couch and take the nap when it's all said and done. Uh, Maybe it's even someone here at church, Uh, someone who every time you interact with them, no matter what's going on, they're willing to stop and drop whatever they're doing to help you out, to, to lend a hand, sometimes even when they don't know how to help, but they're willing to offer whatever they can. When I think about uh, the person that came to mind for this question, it was a guy named Joe. And Joe was a member at the congregation I was at when I was in Denver for my year-long internship during seminary. But uh, interestingly, in the community, Joe was better known as Scrapper Joe, or Joe Scrapper. And the reason he had this nickname is because that's exactly what he did. See, Joe went around the local Denver metro area, and he scrapped metal. That is how he made a living. He would take and pick up metal from one place and drop it off at a scrapyard and whatever it took, all day long, this is what Joe did. Now, uh, what I learned more and more about Joe in my time there was that before I had gotten there and for quite some time, uh, Joe was homeless. Uh, See, Joe had had a bit of a difficult time dealing with a mental health disorder for a very early on time in his life. And so as things were very challenging and difficult, and as he learned to kind of cope and manage that disorder, eventually he knew that he also had to work. And so while he was homeless, Joe kind of had two ways to get around, either public transportation or his bike. And that's exactly what he used. For, for a long time, Joe uh, rode his bike with a kind of a makeshift trailer attached to his bike all around the city, picking up whatever metal he could and dropping it off to make ends meet. And uh, I wanted to show you the picture, but I couldn't find it. But I once saw a picture of Joe uh, with his bike set up and the trailer attached to his bike and a refrigerator sitting in the back of it. Uh, Joe knew the value of hard work and uh, everyone then in the local community also got to know Joe as well, especially in the local homeless community. By the time I got there, Joe was living in a mobile home, so he had that part down and he had saved enough money to, to have a truck and so now he was scrapping metal in a different kind of way, but nonetheless, that is what he did and so that's how everyone knew him, Scrapper Joe. And when I got to the church, Uh, One of the things that I was a part of, one of the ministries I served, was every Thursday night, uh, they had a service called The Table. And it was really for uh, the larger uh, community and the church as a whole, but especially serving the local homeless population, which happened to be quite large in the Denver area. And so every Thursday, we gathered for dinner and we gathered for worship. 
And in that community, on my first Thursday, Joe was one of the first people I met, and I noticed very quickly that everyone seemed to know Joe. And of course, as time went on, I learned that this was, of course, because he went around in every community, and so he got to know people as the guy who scraps metal. But then it became apparent to me that wasn't all that he was known for. That Joe was also known as the kind of guy who would give whatever he could Uh, That uh, people went to Joe because they knew that if he could help them in any way, he would. Whether it was uh, giving uh, socks for their feet or uh, socks for their hands or even the shirt off of his back. Joe was that kind of guy. Even if he needed uh, time or help, Joe would say, okay, I'll do whatever I can to help you out. And uh, again, he was just the kind of guy that would give even when he didn't really have all that much to give. Uh, When I think about Joe, I kind of think about that that sentiment that we all kind of say around the holidays, that it's better to give than to receive. And when it came to Joe, that wasn't just true for him from time to time. That is how Joe lived, that he was always willing to give whatever he could, and he gave frequently, and he often gave with joy. And it just so happens that Joe also happened to never miss church you'd be surprised how closely related those two are, but we'll get there. Now, as I thought about Joe a lot more this week, it was in relationship to our gospel reading from Matthew this morning. That uh, in our reading this morning, Jesus invites us to think about what we have to give and even more so about why we give. And it's fitting then that as we read this passage, we come to the end of our sermon series and we're talking about joyful generosity in the context of how that happens, how hope happens here through joyful generosity. Now over the past five weeks, we've been exploring all different kinds of ministries and ways that God is at work here at St. Andrew, that hope happens here through dynamic education and faithful worship through compassionate service and gracious outreach, through rich relationships, and now through joyful generosity. And interestingly, whether you realized it or not, over these last few weeks, every single one of the areas that were talked about and discovered or conversated about in the commons, all of them have some joyful generosity flowing through them. Now, I will point out and say that usually when we talk about uh, generosity, joyful isn't necessarily the word we associate with it. That when it comes to giving, we don't always know how we feel about it. Even though in Scripture it says, uh, God says that he loves a cheerful giver. And uh, we love a cheerful giver as well. But here at St. Andrew, whether you're cheerful or not, we'll take all that you can give to us one way or another. We'll figure out the cheer part along the way. Right, but, but usually when we hear that word generosity as well, we think about giving, it's always kind of in the context of monetary terms or financial gifts, things that we can offer with our money. And in the context of our faith and our life together, generosity is about way more than just your money. As I'm sure you've heard Pastor Mark say over the years, when we talk about generosity in the context of our faith, about what we can give, it's about our time, our talent, and our treasure or our money. And if there's one thing that I know about the ministry that takes place here, about all the things we've talked about for these last six weeks now, none of those things, none of the the hope that happens here, none of the presence of Jesus that is felt and experienced every week, none of it happens without the generosity of people's time, of their talents, and of their treasures. And in his teaching from Matthew then, Jesus highlights the why behind our joyful generosity. 
And he does it interestingly with some practical life instruction. And at the same time, Jesus invites us to see that generosity or giving is is not just something that we do, but it's part of who we are. And so uh, the story from Matthew's gospel opens up with Jesus doing some teaching. And in Matthew chapter 22, we're in the middle of some different parables of Jesus teaching the people. And it opens up with verse 15. It says, Then the Pharisees went and plotted to entrap him in what he said. So they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. And so I want to point out a few things that are happening here. First off, in Matthew chapter 21, Jesus has just ridden into the city of Jerusalem on the back of a donkey with everyone in the streets shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. So right now when Jesus is teaching in chapter 22, it's Holy Week. And so uh, what's going on here is Jesus has just been celebrated and lauded as uh, the king, the son of David. And so it makes sense that once again, the people were trying to trap him. Remember, they didn't know what was to come the way that we do about Good Friday and, of course, Easter Sunday. At this point, they just want to trap Jesus, do whatever it can to, to bring up a charge against him. And you'll even hear about two different groups of people who unite around this cause. Uh, Last week, Pastor Mark was talking about rich relationships. Uh, This wasn't one of those situations. Instead, uh, the relationship between the two groups here was kind of like the enemy of my enemy is my friend. You had the Pharisees on one side and the Herodians on the other, and they come together to try and trap Jesus. That Jesus was, was such a threat, they were so worried about him, that these two opposing groups come together to try and get rid of him. And they do so by thinking they have the perfect question, that they're going to trap him, and they even use his own words. Uh, Listen again, they said, teacher, we know that you are sincere and teach the way of God in accordance with the truth, and you show deference to no one, for you do not regard people with partiality. Tell us then, what is it that you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? You can almost hear kind of the condescending tone that they have when they approach Jesus with this question. Uh, They're seemingly kind of mocking him in the words that they use, and they're trying to use his own teachings against him, as if uh, Jesus was going to be confused by the things that he said prior, or if somehow he forgot what he said. And Scripture even points out for us that Jesus wasn't phased by this, that he knows what they're trying to do. He sees their malice, he calls them hypocrites, and then he asks a question. He, He turns it back on them. He says, okay, bring me a coin and show me the coin. And when you show me the coin, tell me whose name is on it. And that's what they do. And they say, well, it's the emperor's. And then Jesus says kind of those those famous words from Matthew 22, verse 21. Then give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's or give to the emperor the things that are the emperor's and give to God the things that are God's. And the men here then are are amazed by his answer. Some translations even say they marveled at his words as they went away. And as I read through this passage, as I read through Jesus' words here, I found myself asking the question, why are they so amazed? See, because if you take this answer just at face value without reading anything else into it, it's actually kind of simple, straightforward life instruction. That uh, really, in simplest terms, what Jesus was saying to these people here is, pay your taxes and pay your tithe. And that language would have been very clear for them. They understood that they had to pay their taxes to the governor, to Caesar, whoever it was, and that they paid their tithe whenever they went to the synagogue. These things would have been common in society back then. And so really the controversial answer, and maybe the one they were hoping for, was for Jesus to say, don't pay your taxes, don't pay Caesar. 
Because, of course, then they could have brought up the charges against Jesus that he's telling people not to pay the government, that he's telling people not to pay for Caesar. So Jesus' answer is actually more in line with all of his other teachings about uh, respecting governing authorities and things of that nature. And not only that, again, these men would have known the consequences for not paying their taxes. So why were they so amazed at his answer? As I sat more and more and read these words, it struck me that when Jesus speaks, there's always so much more going on. There's always so much more in what he says. That here Jesus is highlighting a, a real significant truth for us. That the question he was asked and the answer that he provides, it isn't about paying your taxes or paying your tithe. It's about your heart. And maybe even more pointedly, who or what has your heart. Now, when it comes to paying taxes for the people back then to Caesar or the government or in our world today to the IRS, any kind of government tax, the truth is they don't care about your heart. Okay, they care about their cut of the money. And there are consequences if you don't pay your taxes. Hopefully none of you have experienced that before, but at least you all know about them. Right? And the people back then, they knew the consequences as well. You could be the most generous person in the world, but if you don't pay your taxes, someone's coming for you. And honestly, I'm sure that Caesar or, or the government in our world today, that uh, they wouldn't mind your, your commitment. They wouldn't mind your unwavering devotion, but they don't need that. They don't really care about that. No matter what, they're going to get their money. And just in case, if you didn't know, donating to the church is tax deductible, so keep that in mind too. But, but just consider then how Jesus continues. Uh, consider the fact that he's so deliberate in how he orders his words that he says, first, just pay your taxes, and then he says, give to God the things that are God's. See, what Jesus does here is he reminds the people there and me and you that we need to think about what belongs to God. And not only the, the first fruits or the first 10% of the tithe in the storehouses people would have known back then, no, but really what all belongs to God. And that's the truth, that everything belongs to God. In fact, uh, we say it when we confess it, that God is the creator, the maker of all things. And when we say those words, we're reminded of what God did. He spoke everything into existence, that everything that is created is by God and for God. I think sometimes we even forget that, that if God didn't want something to exist, it wouldn't. He is the ruler, creator, and sustainer of all things, and all things belong to him, me and you included. I love it how the book of Acts says it. It says, uh, in him we live and move and have our being. So in a way, giving back to God is really just giving to him the things that are already his. But even though we know that to be true, and even though we know that God is the creator and sustainer, that doesn't mean that God actually has our heart. I think if we're all being honest, we know that our hearts can be stretched and molded in all different kinds of ways. That uh, with our hearts, we can pursue all different kinds of ventures and things that perhaps uh, take up our time and our talents and really, at the end of the day, don't amount to much. And at the same time, we can pursue things as if uh, they're going to mean something more for us on this side of eternity, like a social status or a place in the world or, or just the stuff that we consume and we can purchase because we want the nicest stuff and want to have it all. 
And don't get me wrong, those pursuits, having those things, wanting to do well in life, wanting to have nice things, none of that is inherently sinful. But when you pursue it with all of your heart, you begin to lose sight of the things that matter most, and perhaps the thing that God desires from you most. Not any of the stuff that you have, not any of uh, your place in this world, what God desires from you most is to have your heart. God wants to be in such a, a close relationship with you that your heart is his, right? And we find this language all throughout Scripture. If you go back to the Old Testament in, in the book of Deuteronomy where God says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Uh, this was a prayer that the people prayed every single day to be reminded of, of what God wants from them. And then and you look at the book of Jeremiah where God says that he's establishing a new covenant. And he's going to write his law on the hearts of the people so that they will know his love. And just think about all the teachings of Jesus, all the miracles, everything that Jesus does for me and for you. It, it all comes down to and amounts to this reality that what Jesus wants is to transform our hearts. Because uh, when God has our hearts, everything about our lives is different. Uh, just consider the fact that you can take something as simple as your baptism and see this reality. That in your baptism, as the water and the words were spoken over you, that God sent his spirit down into your heart. That God cleanses you from the inside out of all your original sin and then continues to have his spirit dwell within you. That when God has our hearts, how we see and experience all of life is different. We see this in intangible realities like water and the word and the way that we interact with one another, the way that our heart moves when we see people in need. When we pursue God with all of our hearts, it changes how we live. Because with his spirit in your heart, you are constantly being made new. Your heart is pursuing and desiring the things of God, and God is a generous giver. He has given it all for me and for you. And so our response, our generous giving, is not just something that we do. It's part of who we are. In his teaching this morning, Jesus invites us to see that giving to God or to one another is not about what we have or don't have. It's about who we are and why we give. We give because we are children of God. Each one of us, known by name by God, called by God, and we have already been given everything that we will ever need. And even though it doesn't seem that way, especially when we talk about the stuff that we might have or the things that we might want, the reality is we have all that we will ever need in the places that matter most. Our eternal life is already ours. That into eternity, you have received the promises of God right here and right now, and it's all because of Jesus. Those promises, all of that promised future glory, all of the goodness, anything that you can imagine has already been promised to you because of Jesus. And so because we know the one who has given everything to us, our response, our desire then, is to give as we have been given. 
to put uh, joyful generosity into practice with our time and our talents and our treasures because generosity and our desire to give is part of who we are. And if there's one thing I know in my few short years here at St. Andrew thus far, it's the display of joyful generosity from all of you. I've experienced it personally in the form of cookies or Chick-fil-A gift cards in my mailbox, or birthday cards or Christmas cards or prayer cards uh, sent to my home, or in the context of of fundraisers for the youth to, to send kids to places where they can gather and celebrate their faith and grow in their faith in ways that they never would without your generosity. And I've seen your generosity on display to support other churches, to to build churches or or homes for people in places that you may never go and people that you may never meet so that they too will learn about the hope that happens here in Jesus. And then, of course, there's just every Sunday and throughout the week as people give their time and their talents and their treasures in this place. That as we gather together on Sunday morning, Each one of you is part of creating an atmosphere where the presence of Jesus is real. Where you look at one another and you can see and experience the goodness, the graciousness, the generosity of Jesus within you. Whether it's it's through your service in dynamic education or faithful worship. Or compassionate service or gracious outreach, or rich relationships, your generosity is on display in so many ways. And it's so clear that Jesus is here. And because he is here, because he dwells in each one of you, when you go back out into the world, you get to share all of those wonderful things. You get to share and be generous with your time, with your talent, with your treasures, to a world so desperately in need, to share the hope that you have. And when you come back to this place, you are reminded of all that you have been given, which begins and ends with the good news that hope happens here because of Jesus. Amen? Amen.